You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, let's be real. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball, and if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here, and now... Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat, presented by Manscaped. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you. You guys are the best. I am Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my perspicacious co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please make sure you find us on Twitter and follow us there at Half Street High Heat and our individual accounts, too. Um, you'll get all the latest news, announcements, giveaways, and all kinds of fun stuff there. And don't forget to check out the website, which has awesome articles. There's been quite a few good ones just in the past week. So if you haven't already been out there checking those out, make sure you do yourself a favor and do that. How you guys been? Uh, I literally couldn't tell you what happened the past couple of days. So good, so, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It feels like it could be good or bad. Yep. Ryan, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. I was supposed to go to the game tonight, but I turned down the tickets. So I'm very glad I did because it it's raining very hard. But you yeah, missed the, the streaker. You did, did miss the miss streaker. You, you missed Jesse Doherty streaking across the field. <laughs> <laughs> See, but the beauty about social media is I it was like I was there because so many people posted the video that I got to see it from every angle possible. 
Yeah, so even more angles out. than you would have gotten to see it from if you were actually there. So Exactly. I watched that guy climb into the tube so many different times from different I, perspectives, mind you. The the slip and slide across the, the Skittles Chase the Rainbow Tarp was fantastic. But when they came out for him and he just climbed inside the tube, I just about left my ass off. I mean, that was just legendary. Fantastic job. No idea who you are, sir, but I salute you. It's a good time to do it, too, during the rain delay. I oh, mean, yeah. he, he clearly wasn't in it to try to get away. Like, there's that infamous clip of the guy at the Astros game who climbs up Taos Hill and then over the center field wall and, and gets away. This guy, much more particular with the strategy. He's just, you know, accept his accepted his fate and was there for a good time, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. But I like how he just hung out there for a while, too. Like, he's waiting. He's like, are they going to come get me, or what are we doing? But again, like, it's <laughs> the perfect time to do it. Rain delay, it's like the security was clearly there. They probably saw him, but they really didn't want to go out there. Yeah, I but don't then blame they them. realized that's their job and they needed to go out there. So he kind of called their bluff there. So again, well done. Yes, extremely well done. The most entertaining thing that's happened at Nats Park in quite some time. Yep. All right. So let's move on to our quick pitch segment, which tonight is are the welcome back tribute style videos that teams do when players you know return after they played for that team like overdone at this point are they losing the specialness that they used to have because it was like a big huge deal if you got a welcome back tribute video for most teams the answer is no um for the washington nationals the answer is yes because if you smile at someone while you're here the nats give you a welcome back video they hand them out like candy and i feel like the nats like want to be like we're the nice people like look what we do um doolittle got his doolittle's was a hundred percent deserved he deserved it but like matt adams got a tribute video on twitter brian dozier all these other people just don't deserve it whatsoever cabrera (laughs) yeah like all these people who just don't deserve them are getting them, and it's annoying. Um, very glad Doolittle got his in the whole ceremony. That was really nice to see, but they really should start cutting it back on who actually gets one and who doesn't because it's getting a little ridiculous who is getting them at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice gesture, but when everyone and their mother gets one, it's like, all right, well, and what's the point? Are we just going to hand these out to anyone who, like Ryan said, smiles at us? I mean, for Christ's sakes, Jason Worth is in the Ring of Fame. So is Pudge Rodriguez, who was here for a season. Like, you know, the, the Nats just do these types of things because they're. I think Ryan's kind of on something there where, or onto something there. The, the Nats just kind of want to seem like this good guy franchise. Um, I don't know why. I think it's... A little much. It, I mean, that's why we're talking about it now. It makes it less special for the guys that are truly deserving, like Sean Doolittle. I liked that his was at least longer, and, uh, you know, they did an interview with him and kind of fleshed it out a little bit. But, yeah, Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, they didn't even play in the run. They, they didn't play at all. Matt Adams quite literally did not play. I think he had one at bat the entire postseason. So the fact that, you know, he's getting one and Brian Dozier's getting one and his dribble career, like, you know, tweet out a graphic saying, welcome back. But like a tribute video before the game in this long drawn out process just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. 
I think that's where I agree with you mostly, but I, I don't mind the doing something to welcome people back. I think that is cool. I think, I think the Nats do have a bit of an identity as like a good guy franchise. And I like that about them. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I do think it cheapens the, the tribute video thing when you do it so frequently. They're just going about it in the wrong way. Yeah. And, and I thought what they did for Doolittle was fantastic. It was really like with the having him come out and get an award and take pictures. And like, he really deserved to have that kind of a, a welcome back. And I like welcoming back guys who maybe weren't as big a part of it if they were fan favorites and stuff. I think that's something that they do more for the fans than for the players themselves because the fans enjoy it. But I think they could tone it back a little bit. I like your idea of doing something like a tribute video and maybe in their first at bat sticking up a little welcome back, you know, graphic on the big screen before it goes to their stats. Do you know what I mean? Something like that. I think you could still do it without overdoing it. I would sense. just, you know, when they come up for the first at-bat, just let the fans take over. You know, the, the catcher goes out to the mound. The fans, like, stand up and cheer for their minute or whatever. Have a, a tribute in that regard. Like, does that make sense? You know, show yeah. some, some respect for their, their tenure here in that regard. You know, you, you can kind of, those things kind of just happen naturally, and that's why they're much more appreciated. This forced, like oh, they were such a big part of our franchise when literally, again, nothing against them personally, but Matt Adams, Brian Dozier didn't provide a single thing, you know, on the field during the 2019 run. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess I'm somewhere right in the middle of that. Like, I don't mind if they, like I said, stick up a graphic or something. I think that the tribute videos for players who were pretty, you know, had pretty minimal impact in franchise history is a little bit much, but I like the idea of a little something to show some appreciation. I don't mind that. And especially from the fans, of course, but as you pointed out, that will happen organically. It doesn't need to be organized by the team. Yep. All right, moving on. Let's do Ryan's week in, well, midweek in review. The midweek in review is always popping and it is this week again getting started mickey calloway has been banned from major league baseball until at least the end of the 2022 season he has been placed on major league baseball's ineligible list following the sexual harassment investigation the angels have since fired him since he was banned cardinals manager mike schilt rips mlb's policy of uh policing foreign substances after ejection today he called foreign substances MLB's dirty little secret, and he said that MLB's policing of it is wildly inconsistent, and they truly don't care. Joe West breaks MLB umpire record after umpiring his 5,376 game. He was booed the entire time, as he should be. I don't know how he lasted this long. Congratulations, Joe West, for 5,000 games of getting calls completely wrong. New Era creates local market hats. They are no longer after the site because, folks, Bullying works. Those hats were horrible. To the NL East, in fifth place again, are the 20 and 24 Nationals. They dropped game one of the Reds to a score of 2-1. to one. They're currently winning 2-0 in the fourth inning, and they're in the midst of a very long rain delay. In fourth place are the 24 and 26 Phillies. After Bryce Harper did not play for a couple of days, manager Joe Girardi said, there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfectly okay. Well, Two days later, Bryce Harper goes to the 10-day IL. Joe Girardi says he was lying because he wanted a competitive advantage. 
LOL. In third place are the 24 and 25 Marlins. Their injuries are mounting up as well. They're now down Jazz Chisholm. Brian Anderson, Miguel Rojas, and Garrett Cooper. They still have taken two of three, two of the first three games against the Phillies because the Marlins absolutely own the Phillies. In second place are the 24 and 24 Braves. They are currently in a rain delay up in Fenway as well, but have a good lead over the Red Sox. Um, but more importantly, they're going to be without Slugger Marcel Ozuna for four to six weeks. He's dislocated multiple fingers on his hand sliding into third up next after the red sox is a battle for first place with the mets speaking of the mets they are 22 and 20 they have a split doubleheader on thursday uh degrom returned noah Syndergaard suffered a setback in his rehab outing jones y fargus got hurt he was the mets fifth outfielder who was hurt and he was in a sling had a press conference saying he has not been placed on the il yet because the the Mets did not have enough outfielders. Luckily for him, they had to trade for someone, and they did, and Billy McKinney, just to have enough outfielders to field a team. Fargus is now on the IL and is the 17th player on the IL. This has been your week midweek and review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. Stop on in, dine out, or just get it brought to you from the comfort of your own home. Have a fantastic $5 frozen strawberry margarita and select locations only. This has been your week in review. The uh, pine tar thing, it, uh, Mike Schill has a point. It technically is illegal, right? So, you know, technically you can and should be thrown out for it, but everyone does it. Look at the, the, the top guys too. Garrett Cole just had had it the other day. I believe his is on the back of the hat. Giovanni Gallegos, who's the guy, the guy who got thrown out today, had it uh, on the brim of his cap, which is pretty, you know, standard and commonplace. Clayton Kershaw is another one who has it. Trevor Bauer is infamous for it. Like all these guys of you know prominence and big name recognition, they all use pine tar. And even some hitters don't mind that pitchers use pine tar because all these pitchers throw 100, 102. And if you get hit with 102, it's going to hurt. So if pine tar gets you better control and helps you throw it over the plate, then some hitters like that because they're, that means they're not put in, in harm's way by someone who can't control the ball. And we've seen plenty of pitchers over the years and plenty of pitchers looking at you, Henry Rodriguez, that can throw hard but can't control the ball. So it's one of those things, and it truly is a dirty little secret, that everyone knows it's going on, but the MLB doesn't want to address it because that would mean they're not doing their job and not enforcing it. So it's just this weird unspoken thing, and it's even weirder that someone decided to enforce it now, what's today, May 26th, when it's been going on literally at least one game every single day for the entire season and for every other season. What's weird to well, me, a couple, a couple of things is first of all, the idea that they just start selectively enforcing it is really infuriating because you either just enforce it, say to everybody, if you have it on your hat or anywhere else, you're getting thrown out of the game, like period, that's it. And then, you know, see what the pitching looks like. They may not like what they get when they, <laughs> when they do that. And the other thing is with pine tar specifically, I mean, I feel like other banned substances are a different question. But for me, you let batters use pine tar to get a better grip on the bat. Why the hell can't pitchers use pine tar to get a better grip on the ball? 
it just doesn't you make can't any sense. Throw a bat or it spins and breaks like that. One note, um, you're not ejected for Kyle Pintar. The first offense, they take your hat. The second offense, that's when you ejected. So they only took his hat uh, today. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, there's pros and cons of it. With how dominant pitching is, MLB's biggest mistake when they den the balls was not moving the mound back or not banning or policing um, Pintar. It makes the pitchers better. It does help with their control, but it also increases the spin on spin. pitches because you can grip it better. You have more spin, there's more movement, there's more dropping. That was MLB's biggest mistake was not coming down harder on this beginning of the year. And that's why pitching is so dominant because they're not checking it and guys are running rampant with this. Um, I, um, I forgot the team, but one guy had his first major league hit and they all had the ball in the clubhouse and said it was still sticky afterwards. Yeah, I have read about that. And like guys are saying that you can hear their like fingers stick to the ball as they're throwing it. They're using a lot. And with the dead end baseballs, it's almost an unfair competitive advantage for the hitters. So they should crack down on it. It's major league baseball. So they won't like, of course, it was Joe West who said something today of all umpires. It's always Joe West. Um, but MLB went on too long without doing anything. So they're going to do what they always do and just blindly turn a corner and be like, Oh no, no, there's no issue here. It's fine. Yeah. They do always do that. I actually yeah. would be fine if they completely crack down on it, but crack down, make it at least make it across all teams across all games don't allow it you can't allow it sometimes and not others then it's just ridiculous and unfair yeah i mean i didn't mean to to say like hitters allow it because it, it just only affects control yeah it cl very clearly makes pitchers better and that's one thing that people talk about with trevor bauer because he stunk for a while and then magically his sp spin rate got better and that's largely due to pintar and everyone remembers the uh you know, outburst on uh, Twitter when his agent, Rachel Luba, kind of went on, on a rant about Pintar and it, it should be illegal and blah, da, 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 da. But that, that's besides the point. Uh, Pintar definitely has a competitive advantage and you compare or combine that with the dead and base holes, like Ryan said. And it is, it's just, it's unfair to the hitters. And, and you know, I'm pro pitcher, but it's super unfair to the hitters and I, I want to see more offense too. So they needed to do something to, you know, kind of make it even rather than right now where it's very skewed in favor of the pitchers. I know you had talked about not being in favor of moving the mound back. Do you I think they should if they want to, you know, kind of even the playing field, they should try lowering the mound first. I'd be more open to that. I really don't love the idea of moving the mound back. I I think if you're trying to achieve the goal of more offense, right, the first thing you do is juice the baseballs, which they have done before. Next thing you do is maybe completely crack down on pine tar. Then you, you know, go to field alter alterations if you've exhausted all other options and it still hasn't working. It's still so in favor of pitching that, excuse me, you have to do something. Then I would try lowering the mound first. And as a very, very last resort, move the mound back. Maybe pitching continues to get better in the next five years and guys are pumping out 103, 105. Then, yeah, that kind of forces your hand at that point, And you probably should move the mound back. But until, again, we've exhausted all the other options, I would like to see that be the last resort. Gotcha. Okay. 
Well, that is an interesting discussion and um, a couple of other interesting things that were that were happening around baseball this week. But, you know, largely said whenever we do these episodes for our Thursday release, there's not too much new to talk about. Um, obviously, the Mickey Callaway thing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, glad to see, when I first saw he's banned from baseball, I was like, I can't believe baseball did something about it. And then they said through 2022, I'm like, so a year and a half, like the guy has been sexually harassing women serially for his entire time he's been in baseball. And your punishment is he has to not be in baseball for a year and a half. I mean, come the hell on. His statement was utter bullshit, too. Like, Oh, yeah. He's, yeah he, he's like, my family and I support the MLB's decision. Okay, yeah, like your family. My family standing. and I. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm sure what, your family is really on your side on this one. He's <clears throat> vile, seriously, a vile human. He is. Ryan, did the, was he actively with the Angels, or did the Angels suspend him, like, for this first? Um, so when you were under investigation, you're, I'm pretty sure placed on leave or um, so I think he was quote on leave, um, but he was still a part of their roster. Like he was being paid. Yeah. He still will be paid. Um, It is a two year ban, which is absolute joke. It should be more, but no team is going to hire him because no team is going to take on that PR disaster. So it's effectively a lifelong ban. His, his career is done with major league baseball as it rightfully should be. Um, So he won't, ever get hired again no one's going to take on that pr crisis instead of it being the right thing everyone's just going to think of it oh that might be bad business because that's no major league baseball's full scrum but that's a separate point yeah Yeah. (laughs) hard to argue with that yeah they always just do what's expedient for them rather than i don't know they've they've proven time and again they don't care about this even this wasn't expedient this happened what in early march Oh, yeah, the they just broke. waited around to find to, they hoped everybody would just forget about it and let it go. And when that didn't happen, they finally did this sort of uh, I'm gonna be honest, I completely forgot about it. I'm not I'm not an of, Angels fan, but I forgot about it. Part of the process is when someone appeals or um basically pleads not guilty. Mm, um okay. part of the CBA is they have to get a independent investigation and independent investigations do take a little bit longer because it's a third party and it's an arbitrator. So that was part of the process. I still feel like it shouldn't have been this long because they had really every single text message there was, but (laughs) part of the CBA is you do get that quote fair process and investigation. It'd be nice if the women he ran out of the league and careers got, got the got same thing. Fair yeah. due process. Yeah. yeah, that would have been yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I remain disappointed always. Every time I think I can't be further disappointed in baseball. Like how hard would it have been to just <laughs> like a lifetime ban? Like he can't be in baseball anymore after what he did. Like that would have been and he's never going to be anyway, as you pointed out, Ryan. So why not for the PR just come out and say he's banned for life? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that because there's nothing in the CBA either that prevents Major League Baseball from doing a life like a ban. max suspension. Yeah, yeah. yeah so like he, he easily could have, but they chose not to, which is very interesting. And they, well, the, what they chose is they showed you that what they say has is is irrelevant. They always show you how much they care about it, which is not at all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that is an infuriating situation, but at least he's out for now and probably permanently through the teams not wanting to hire him though but major league baseball had the opportunity to send a message and resoundingly failed yep. <sighs> anyway moving on to nat spat um 
Not too much to talk about here. Let's talk about the Reds. <laughs> about the freaking Reds. Um, yeah, so you come into the series. We talked about it. We're like, this is uncompetitive pitching. You have to take advantage of it. And guess what? The Nats did it. Um, one run in the ninth inning. Yeah, one run on the Josh Bell. Home run right-handed, by the way. That was his second hit from the right side of the bat. So congratulations, uh, Josh Bell. You're, you doubled your hits. But they went into the ninth inning without any runs. That was the 14th time in 44 games. They were scoreless after five innings. That's an issue against non-competitive pitching. Tonight, they stranded six runners through the first two innings. They had the bases loaded in the first inning and the second inning, and they stranded the runners. Six runners and two innings. Again, they forgot they're going up against someone with a career ERA over six. At least they scratched (laughs) three across in... uh managed to put a few runs on the board. You know, I, I felt so bad for Max Scherzer last night. Like, he gives up, he often gives up a couple of runs. He gave up two solo homers, as he does. But, you know, you only gave up two. You went seven full innings, gave up two runs. You shouldn't be taking a loss for that. And it sucks that they never give that man any run support. Right. I mean, <clears throat> in our Tuesday episode, so, um, you know, we previewed the series, and I said Max needs to avoid the long ball. And, you know, he didn't, but again, like you just said, Amanda, if you go seven, six, seven and only give up two, you should be at least contention for the win. And Max never really was because, again, when he left the the game, the Nets hadn't scored a single run yet. And you can't count on your pitching staff as a whole, starters and relievers, to allow zero runs. It's just not fair and it's not plausible. And then I said Joe Ross needed to get a sinker working and keep it down. And so far, I mean, we're still in the delay. Last I checked, and he got through four scoreless, which is great. But obviously, whenever the game resumes, he will not be back out there. So hopefully he builds upon this and keeps it rolling whenever his next start comes. I believe it will probably be against the Brewers. Uh, uh, no, maybe, maybe the Braves. But um, good start for him, and it was nice to see some run support earlier than the ninth inning in, in game two. So it's, even if they did strand six runners and that's better than not getting anybody on base. Right. So obviously stranding runners is just not more. Good, it's but. more of the same. It's like one game you're just frustrated because the pitching staff is great and you don't score enough runs. And the, the next game you kind of score runs, but you know, it's like, why couldn't we do this yesterday? It's just frustrating. Yeah. That's a very perspicacious view of things i I didn't sweat saying it (laughs) oh i see what you did there i see what you did there no no that was our word of the word of the show and it means having keen mental perception and understanding oh that is very much me so you isn't it i'm very mental i told you you never know with these words whether i'm insulting you or complimenting you yeah and that's two in one show pretty good Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So, Ryan, I know you Speaking spoke. Speaking of pretty good. <laughs> uh, I got you. About really good. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, We did. Nick and I sat down over the phone to the face on Zoom with best friend of the podcast, Matt Wyrick. We talked whole sorts of things. We talked about the Oreo series, the offense, the pitching inconsistencies, um, the surprising move for Luis Garcia to come up, and what's up with Carter Keeboom. We hope you guys enjoy it, so take a listen. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by 
best friend of the podcast, trademark, Matt Wyrick. You guys can follow him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. And make sure you head on over to NBCSportsWashington.com to keep up with Matt's latest pieces on Nats and other DC sports. Matt, how you doing, man? Not pretty good, guys. Not bad. Uh, hanging in there. How are you all doing? I thought for a second you were going to be like, not good, right? <laughs> I almost said it by accident. I was like, wait, can I just get way too real on the pod? <laughs> so we're going to talk about our feelings here. <laughs> That's what this is. That's why you guys called me. In. Okay. Um, things are good. You know, it's a little hot, but when things get hot, usually baseball is starting to get a little better because it's the dog days of summer as we're getting there. Um, right now, probably the biggest news was the Nationals as Victor Robles goes to the 10-day IL. The Nats officially call up Luis Garcia, which is pretty interesting from a lot of aspects. Um, you figure he's going to have to play every day. You don't want a young gun sitting on the bench a lot. And then that kind of puts yourself in an interesting situation. What's going to happen with Josh Harrison, um, Andrew Stevenson, Starling Castro? How are they going to go about splitting this? Is Josh Harrison going to be the main center fielder going forward? Well, it seems like right now they've got Andrew Stevenson there as their first option. They're probably hoping that giving Stevenson some everyday at bats could help him, you know, catch fire. He's really struggled at the plate this season, had a lot of strikeouts that have been piling up. You know, he's effective when he does get on base. He's a great base runner uh, and he plays Pretty good defense will make some spectacular plays has had a few gaps out there, but overall I'd say he's, he's a pretty solid center fielder. So he definitely is their best option in terms of a center fielder, but it seems like the nationals are going to be willing to get crazy with mid game switches. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Josh Harrison playing center field later in games to kind of do some type of double switch situation where then Luis Garcia comes in, you know, he's probably a better option off of the bench than Jordy Mercer at this point. I mean, Mercer has had some ups and downs, but he's, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get with him. Whereas, you know, Garcia still has a lot of potential and the Nats are going to hope to uncork it. And like you guys said, you know, he needs to play pretty frequently to, to kind of stay hot, stay in a groove. Uh, and the Nationals are going to have to find unique ways to get him into the lineup. Yeah, it's definitely interesting that Garcia was the first choice. I know there was talk uh, about potentially bringing up someone else who we'll get to in a little bit. But as far as Garcia goes and just his, you know, individual development, do you think this is a good move or do you think this is, you know, um, kind of a pattern the Nats have fallen into before where they call guys up too early and it kind of hinders their development because they're back and forth between yeah. the, you know, the big club and, and AAA and it kind of just is impossible to get in the groove that way. For sure. I, I think that it, calling up Garcia is kind of a testament of, his progress, you know, he hasn't hit for very high average uh, so far in AAA. He's hitting 235, but he does have four homers and a double and drawing a few walks in the in there, too. So the Nats have liked what they've seen from him. Uh, you know, the the decision not to pull up T-Boom, we spoke with Davey a little bit uh, ago just before we started recording. Davey said it came down to uh, the positional flexibility that Luis Garcia has being able to play second base, third, as well as some shortstop. Uh, to be able to give Trey Turner a day off because the Nationals don't have a true backup shortstop right now. So Turner really has been having to play pretty much all day, every day uh, out there. Um, but, you know, I think that it does speak to where Carter Keboom is at this point. You know, Keboom can play second base. It's not like, you know, even though he has been playing mostly third down in the minors, they couldn't move him up and play him at second if his 
play warranted it, but you know, he's, he's got a 620 OPS so far in the minors. He still has just one home run uh, in all professional games since the 2019 season ended. Uh, so that's a, a real big glaring question mark about him is kind of where did this power go? He supposedly was struggling with, with his eyesight and he got LASIK, but that hasn't really done much for him uh, in terms of seeing the ball better and making more solid contact. So overall, you know, I, I think that this decision does point to Garcia uh, as kind of their next man up and, and, and it's a testament to him and a testament to, to uh, Kibum as well. Yeah, you mentioned Kibum. Do you think this is a signal that we have seen a lot in this team in this farm system they call a guy up too early he struggles he kind of goes on the back burner until he's traded eventually is this the life cycle that we're going to see with Kiboom, or do you think they're still going to cling on to one more shot that Carter Kiboom can be what he was promised to be I mean I think he's going to get an opportunity at some point uh, if you look at Kiboom, there really isn't much trade value with him like even a guy like um uh, Lucas Giolito, you know, when he struggled and, and they, they sent him back down, he had that declined velocity. You know, there were obvious question marks there, but, you know, he still had the stuff, you know, you still could make a case that, you know, you know, obviously he only garnered back Adam Eaton and in, in that he was, you know, part of a package. But, uh, you know, you'd say with Kiboom, you're not going to be getting any substantial upgrade trading Kiboom right now. You know, if you're trying to upgrade your major league roster, which I don't know why you, you would trade Kiboom if that's not what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, you're probably going to have to package him with another prospect in order to really get anything substantial that's going to be considered a significant upgrade for you. So uh, until he improves his trade value, uh, in which case he would have to come up to the majors and do well, uh, you know, I don't really see the Nationals trading him just yet. Uh, they're probably going to ride him out for as long as they can. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, for them that he turns things around. Yeah. And I want to ask about another prospect who is probably, if not definitely, the Nats' best asset to trade if, you know, his name did come up, and that's Kate Cavalli. He's gotten off to a great start with, uh, you know, his time with the club after being drafted last year. But what's the news on him? Can we – I don't think we're going to see him with the, the big club anytime soon, but what's the Nats' kind of plan for him going forward, and, uh, you know, where do they see him in their future plans? Is he an asset or is he someone they're going to, you know, want to count upon should Max Scherzer, Walker, Corbin, or Strasburg not live up to their contracts? Yeah, I, I think between him, Cole Henry, and Jackson Rutledge, who right now is the, ro the top three of the rotation at High A Wilmington, uh, those three guys are kind of considered the future of the Nationals rotation uh, with, with how it stands right now. You know, they're all – you know, college age or older, they're, they're getting to the point where they could be considered candidates uh, to make the big league club next year. Uh, maybe even this year, if, the, if you know, a guy like Cavalli pitches well uh, and is able to move up to double A and succeeds there, too. Uh, we could be seeing him for a September call up at some point. Um, but I think, you know, between those guys, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them gets traded because, you know, the Nationals offense, they're in a very unique spot where they haven't been in years past where they need a bat. You know, they usually aren't really looking for a hitter at the trade deadline. But this, if the Nationals are in contention for the NL East come, you know, mid-July, it would make a lot of sense for them to, to trade for a guy who could really be an impact in the middle of their lineup. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Nationals pull off a shocker and trade one of those three guys because I think they're confident in all three. Uh, and that, you know, really speaks to how far they've come. Because the Nationals, since Steven Strasburg, they have developed one starting pitcher that has, quote, stuck 
in the rotation, and that's Eric Fetty. And even then, you could say Eric Fetty really hasn't stuck in the rotation. So since Strasburg, they have really struggled to develop pitching. They finally seem like, you know, these first-round picks that they've invested in arms for years and years are finally starting to to show their head and uh, pay off for them. I don't think they're going to be eager to trade those guys. Uh, But, you know, if the the Nationals are in contention deep into the year and they they really need a bat, they really might have to, to make that sacrifice. And before we get to the offense a little bit, um, while we're on the topic of pitching, I wanted to ask about Eric Fetty and Tanner Rainey. Both are currently on the COVID protocols. Do you know when we could expect them to return to the team? Um, will they have to do any type of rehab assignment before, or are they just going to be both placed right back on the roster? I think Rainey is going to be – sorry, my notifications keep popping up. I tried to mute it, but it's still coming. Oh, you're, you're verified now, so it's, when it comes with the territory. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, Rainey will be added to the roster at some time this week. He's planning to throw a bullpen in the upcoming days, at which point Davey will judge if he's ready to go. He may, may get a rehab start, but I would expect him to, to go back right back, uh, into the bullpen as soon as he's ready. Fetty, uh, is dealing with a little bit longer of a timeline by the time he is ready to be, to return, which should be this week, but likely go, uh, down to AAA Rochester. Davey didn't say specifically that that will happen. Uh, but he said it may happen for him to go down uh, and do a rehab start before rejoining the club there. The Nationals have a really interesting situation with Fetty, given that you know, they really have to decide if him or Joe Ross is going to stay in the rotation moving forward. Ross seemed like the, the better candidate coming into the year. He seemed like he was going to win the starting job. That was until John Lester ended up you know, being put in COVID protocols, as did Patrick Corbin. So up until now, the Nationals actually needed both with all the injuries that they've had in the rotation, but they're finally at a point where only one of them is really going to be able to stay. Austin both has already moved to the bullpen. One of them likely will follow uh, considering they're out of options this season. So uh, I think Fetty has shown that he can kind of settled into a role a little bit more. You know, he obviously had the best start of his career right before, you know, going into COVID protocols. Ross in the meanwhile has really started to trend in the wrong direction. He's, really going to have an important start uh, this week uh, to kind of prove that he can still pitch in the rotation because he may end up getting regulated to a different role if the Nationals decide Fetty uh, is their guy. Yeah, and that, that's something we kind of like circled on uh, the calendar once we heard uh, Strasburg was coming back, just that decision to be made. And obviously the decision got pushed back a little bit with Fetty on the COVID protocols. So definitely something to monitor there. But I want to talk about the offense. And this is kind of the first time all year where I don't feel an enormous amount of dread looking at the lineup just because, you know, Bell and Schulber seem to, uh, you know, be turning a corner finally. You know, we're, we're May 25th now, and they're just now kind of starting to do what we signed them and, and trade for them to do. Um, looking at the lineup, obviously you wish there was that big right-handed power bat in there, but – uh, how did the Nats feel about their lineup as currently constructed? I know Robles is out right now. He just got placed on the IL on Sunday. But as a whole, are the Nats comfortable with their lineup, or is this something they realize they should still address? You know, I think with where they're at now, all the Nationals have really been able to focus on, and by Nationals I mean Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo, have really been able to talk about have been how you know Bell and Schwarber have struggled, right? And they've had to talk about mm-hmm. how these two guys – they, they were their top targets of the offseason. They're the guys they wanted, and they have all the confidence in the world, and they're going to come together and, and hit really well, right? And the Nationals' mm. offense has been really, you know, mediocre to bad uh, this season, you know, to put it plainly. So 
we need to see what the Nationals offense is capable of when Bell and Schwarber are clicking for a consistent amount of time. You know, if they're over a three-week span, you know, they are hitting really well. How many runs per game are the Nationals scoring? Where where do they start to have shortfalls? Are they still, you know, only scoring three, four runs a game? Uh, because that's not really going to get it done in, in, in today's league. So, you know, at, at that point, when the Nationals lineup is supposedly clicking on all cylinders and you have these guys uh, who they paid to do well are doing well, if the lineup is still not producing at that point, I think that's when the Nationals have to say to themselves, okay, we, if we want to make a deep run, we're going to need to make an upgrade here. And they're going to have to make a tough decision because, you know, if, if everybody stays healthy, you know, the, the positions that they could upgrade at, you know, would conceivably be second base or third, right? I mean, that would probably be the, the primary spot that you're going to put a guy. Are you right. going to bring in a guy to replace Josh Harrison, who's been a pretty solid hitter for them? Are you going to bring in Starlin Castro, who has a team high 11 game hit streak at one point this year and, you know, has flashed a little bit of power and, and, you know, can come through in the clutch, you know, drives in a lot of runs. You know, the, you're going to have to make a tough call there either way. It's, there's no, you know, you know, a couple of years ago when Danny Espinosa was hitting below the Mendoza line into July, Nationals didn't upgrade at that position, but that was a position where you could clearly say, look, this guy, you know, they, they need an upgrade here. The Nationals don't really have that. But the team as a whole, if it's not producing at a level it needs to be, you know, the Nationals are going to have to pull a Max Scherzer over Tanner Roark type deal uh, where all of a sudden you're replacing a guy that maybe his play alone wasn't warranting being replaced. Yeah, and you make a good point about they have a tough decision. Um, they've kind of been handed like a like a uh, what's the word like a like a basket. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, the division stinks. They haven't been over 500 since opening day, um, and they're only two games out, and they've been in fifth place for most of the year. Do you think it's going to be another year where the Nats, like, we can still compete, even though if they're still hanging out in fifth place this entire season with how this division's struggling? Because right now, they're in last place in the worst division. Do you think it's going to be a foregone conclusion that the Nats are going to try to add someone, or do you see a situation where they actually set reality and sell? I couldn't see them selling. Uh, I think what it's going to come down to is does anyone in the NL East catch fire? You know, are, are all of a sudden the Braves going to figure things out? You know, their, ro their rotation starts to show some consistency and the bats carry them like they did last year. And they, you know, all of a sudden are, you know, eight, nine games up in the division going into July, right? If that's happening, that that point, the Nationals have to be real with themselves and say, look, we're probably not in the race for the division at this point. We're in the race for a wild card. How many teams are in the wild card right now? Well, probably all other four teams in the NL East. You know, you're going to have a couple of teams in the NL West. That's looking like a really tight division. And the NL Central, you know, has certainly some teams that could make a push as well. So you're looking at a really crowded field for only two spots. At, and of those two spots, you still have to play a one-game play-in, as the Nationals know, in order to make it to the rest of the, the postseason. So, you know, it's going to be a question of, if anyone does get that distance, if there is no distance, we get to July and, you know, the, the division is still everyone's separated by four games or the Nationals are still only, you know, a couple games back. Even if they have a few teams in between them, playing for the division is very different than going for a wild card spot. You know, you, you, you win the division, you're guaranteed a five game series in the next round. That's huge. Uh, and I think that the Nationals will see is worth pursuing. It's just going to kind of be a question of uh, will any team stand out from the pack? Is the NL East really going to continue to beat up on itself uh, enough to keep everybody in it? Uh, and, and that's a question that we're really only going to have an answer to as the season progresses. Yeah. And obviously, you know, there is a scenario where the NL East does beat up on each other and maybe the, the division winner only has 90 wins. 
or something like that, kind of what we've seen from the NL Central in recent years. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a plan for the Nats to, you know, count on, so to speak. Um, this stretch coming up, obviously, you get to late May. June is uh, a big month in determining where your season goes, obviously, with the trade deadline looming and whatnot. They play the Reds next, which is kind of a, a ramp up from the Orioles series before they hit, you know, a couple contenders and the Brewers and the Braves and, and a couple more division rivals. What has to happen in this next month for, you know, things to get right? Obviously, you can say a winning record, but what, you know, needs to happen within the Nats team for things to get right and really establish themselves as a contender? I think one of the most important things is going to be Steven Strasburg staying healthy and producing at the level the Nationals paid him to. Up until this point, you know, he, he's made a handful of starts ever since signing that contract. Uh, after the 2019 season, he really hasn't had a chance to settle in and, you know, even make, I think, I don't think he's made more than three starts in a row uh, since, since signing that contract. And that's a long time to not make more than three starts in a row. So it's, it's, it's an important time for Strasburg now uh, to settle into his routine, to get used to, to having to pitch every five days uh, and being able to, to stay on the field and, and pitch effectively. Because if the Nationals don't have Strasburg, you know, that, that rotation looks significantly weaker, even with Max Scherzer pitching like he is at the top. You know, you still have Patrick Orban, who's been uh, a bit of an up and down experience so far and, and kind of having to reinvent himself on the fly a little bit this year. You have John Lester, who missed a month of the start of the season, had to come back, uh, you know, really ramp his arm up in one of the longest ramp up processes I think I've ever seen. Uh, and then he comes in and, you know, he, he's pitching well, but he's, he's not going to be, you know, the John Lester of old. He's probably just going to be a guy who gives you innings, which, to his credit, that's probably what the Nationals brought him in to do. Uh, and then, you you know, you have the guys at the back end who you're, you're really, you know, questioning, you know, is, is Fetty going to stick? Is Ross going to stick? You, you don't really know what those two guys can give you on a long-term basis. So Strasburg's position in the top of that rotation is so key. As the Nationals always say, they're a pitching-first organization. And with the lineup, you know, having a certain cap on its production, I think that, you know, that, that rotation really needs to be one of the best in baseball for the Nationals to succeed, and that all really starts with Strasburg. Yeah, and yeah. we saw Strauss this weekend. He pitched into the sixth inning, one hit, four walks, looked completely fine. But as you mentioned, Corbin and Lester didn't really pitch that well, and it was against a bad Orioles lineup. Do you think with the lineup kind of doing well right now, is the lineup still the bigger question mark or is the inconsistency with the pitching rotation going to be the bigger issue as the season goes on? The bigger issue, probably the lineup, uh, just because, you know, even if you have Bell hitting at his best, he's not necessarily like, you know, he's not going to hit for a high average, high OBP type player. He's, he's going to hit for a lot of power, which is obviously huge, but the Nationals moving down the line uh, in, in their, their lineup can be troublesome at points because you, you don't have guys who uh, are just putting the bat to ball and extending innings. You have guys trying to, to send everybody home uh, with a long fly ball. And not to say that the Nationals approach is home run or bust, but you know, that's just kind of the MO for, for guys like Schwarber, for guys like Bell. Uh, is Ben, you know, that's what they bring to the team is they bring power. So the, the Nationals, I think, are really missing a high OBP guy in the middle of that lineup to just kind of keep innings alive. You know, if you have uh, an O, you know, two outs uh, after um, Turner and Soto, right, you know, one strikes out, one grounds out, whatever, uh, and you bring up Josh Bell with two outs, you're not really confident 
uh, that that inning is going to continue beyond maybe a solo home run or a double off the wall. You know, that's, that's kind of what you're looking for out of Bell. You're looking for him to come up in situations where he has guys on base and he drives them in. But what if, you know, there is nobody on base? You know, that's, that's not necessarily a situation built for Josh Bell, built for Kyle Schwarber. I think they need one more guy to kind of keep things moving. And that's where someone like DJ LeMahieu this past offseason would have been, you know, perfect for this lineup. But, you know, water under the bridge at this point. Um, and, and that kind of that kind of takes me into my final question, because, uh, you know, just looking at how the season has played out through the first, you know, just under two months and seeing that the resurgence Chris Bryant is going through is kind of just salt in the wound. And I feel like we missed out a little bit there with all the third baseman chatter and KB to DC talk. But. There's another guy that I think is kind of flying under the radar, and I wanted to get your take and see just how you know viable of an option I think it is. Obviously, the, the Nats seem to steer away from the rentals, and they want someone with more you know uh, control. That's the word I was looking for. So what do you think about a potential trade? Uh, let's say we trade away uh, Victor Robles, and in return we get Shohei Otani. <laughs> I think I think they would do that. I don't know. It's just okay. going on a limb, no sources there, but I think uh, that might pique their interest. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like off the reservation there. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah, Rizzo has really slammed rentals in the past, and in particular, he slammed rentals when being asked about Chris Bryant prior to the season, who is a player that I think would be a perfect addition for the Nats at the trade deadline. Uh, Even still. Um, considering he can play outfield and third base, uh, which can be very key for them um, depending on how things go. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that it's likely to go after a rental. I think they'd try to get a guy who has more value, but we're looking at a nationals farm system that doesn't really have the talent to go and get a player more than a rental. I mean, if the nationals are really intent on holding on to Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge, as you mentioned, you know, earlier, if they are, don't want to trade those guys, they are going to have slim pickets. And that means that it's going to be mostly rentals, which for that, you know, good for them because rentals prices have really gone down in recent years. Like you're not getting a role as Chapman at the trade deadline for Glaber Torres. You know, those kinds of trades aren't really happening anymore because of the way that Glaber Torres trade and, and some others really backfired on the teams that, that traded for a way of a young player for three months of a, of a rental. So if the nationals are able to get, you know, uh, somebody with, without having to give up a top hundred player, you know, that's kind of their ball game right now. That that's where that front office is going to be operating because they don't really have any top hundred players outside of Cavalli. And some, some places will put Jackson Rutledge in the top 100 uh, as well. So those two guys are, are kind of it as terms of if they're going to make a huge move for a player with multiple years of control, they would have to, almost no doubt give up at least one of those two guys right yeah um and i absolutely appreciate you answering that question seriously by the way <laughs> that's pretty, that pretty good that is very professional by you i mean if we want to go down the otani route i could put together a package we'll see i would I mean, trade everyone not named trade turner and juan soto <laughs> you could absolutely i mean if you i'm sure you know if you want to hit some sort of quota for like clicks on you know uh, NBC's website or whatever, you can do a, a package for Shohei Otani and just, you know, trade everyone. Trade everyone. It's just the whole roster. The team is Juan Soto, Shohei, and Trey Turner. You really wouldn't need, that's everything you need. You got a pitcher. And an we become the East Coast Angels. Like, we exactly. trade all of our pitching and have a great lineup, but we're just a 77-win team perennially. Yeah. Maybe bring back uh, Anthony Rendon to offset some of those costs. 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now you're thinking. All right. We, 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 exactly. we can work this. We can workshop it. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Matt. Um, so all the questions we have for you today. I wanted to give you another thanks for coming on the pod. It's always a fantastic time talking to you. Um, I think we're approaching your your tenth time coming on the show. So for yeah, we're almost double digits. Yeah. For for number ten, we're gonna have to do something special when you come back. Hell yeah, I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um once again you guys can find him on twitter at by matt wyrick and make sure you guys head on over to nbc sports washington to keep up with all things nats and other dc sports thanks so much matt take care yeah thanks guys yep once again thank you so much to matt wyrick best friend of the show from NBC Sports Washington for coming on and discussing everything. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at ByMattWyrick and make sure you guys go to NBC Sports Washington and catch up on all of his latest pieces. Yep, and Heater's support for that episode from best friend of the show, Matt Wyrick, and all of our episodes is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. And before you know it, Father's Day will be here, and you probably need a gift for your dad. Make your dad proud for the first time and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package. You know what they say, like father, like son, so both of you can take advantage of this great deal. Go to manscaped.com, use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and its ultra smooth package is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code HSHH20. Do so quickly so that way you don't have to worry about it come Father's Day in what, three and a half weeks or so. So do it now. Check it off your to-do list. Good to go. Dad will be proud. And speaking of proud, we're going to play a game. I love games. Um, yeah, so last week we did a Mount Rushmore. It was just Nick and I because Amanda was too busy. So mm-hmm. she did not join us. We did the Mount Rushmore of smells, and I claimed every smell there was. <laughs> so this week we're doing the ultimate draft. We're doing a draft of Nat's Park food. We're going to do four picks. It's going to be a snake draft like always, and it's going to be the draft of how we like our food. As always, if one's taken, you can't take it. Um, just throwing out there just in case there's any confusion. So I already did the random list generator, and unfor- unfortunately, I have the third pick. So, oh, yes, I know. Amanda is first. Damn it. Nick, Nick is second. Rigged. <laughs> <laughs> and I am third. So Amanda, without further ado, get us started. I'm so glad I'm first because if one of you pick. people took my pupusas, I would be so upset. I, I knew as soon as I saw you first, I'm like, damn, there go the pupusas. There go the pupusas. They well, are going to be my pick too. So they are never going to get the third. Best thing at Nats Park. They are so stinking good. They are the honestly, if I don't eat before I go, and I often just go to a restaurant before I go to the game but if i have any room for food it is my absolute go-to so the pupusas get the cheese ones or the pork ones they're both fantastic if you haven't tried them yet you guys are missing out god that sucks because the pupusas are you know my staple every game (sighs) 
that, that was tier one. That was tier one food. And for mm-hmm. me, everything else just doesn't compare. So uh, I might have some different picks from you guys as far as, you know, our, our big board and rankings and stuff. Uh, I'm going to go the uh, Chesapeake Crab Cake Company. I do like crab cakes. I've only ever had it once or twice and it's been a little bit. So hopefully the, the quality is still up there. I believe it's one section 116, something like that over on that side. Uh, but it is what it sounds like. Crab cake company. It's very good. If you, if you are a crab cake guy, uh, I recommend it. Hopefully again, it's still good. So if anyone's had it recently, please let me know, but I'm going to go grab that. Cause I do want to try to, you know, branch out and get some more unique foods for this draft. All right. Like that's it. a fantastic pick. Um, my first pick, I'm going Shaka here, baby. I'm going Cantina 202. Yeah, um, My favorite place in the park. There's a new nacho place in the club that I had, and I was like, that's weird. This isn't Cantina 202 salsa, and I realized it was new, but Cantina 202's nachos are to die for. I am absolutely obsessed. The worst part about the pandemic was that I couldn't have them, and I missed them. And they're so good. Even their tacos are good, but their nachos are so messy. But that's what makes a good nacho is they're messy. So my second pick after going Cantina 202, I'm going Enzo's Pizza. I love pizza, but most ballpark pizza is kind of trash. But Enzo's is good. The slices are huge. They're greasy. It passed the grease test. You know, you drip it. Or if you want to dab with a napkin, it's passing that test. And it's good pizza. And I thoroughly enjoy it. So I'm going Enzo's with my second pick. It's a good pick. I'm not. I I go through phases of pizza. I know that's probably blasphemy for for some people to hear, but sometimes I'm just really in a pizza phase, and other times I, you know, you could give me any pizza in the world, and I'm not gonna like it. I'm weird like that. But Enzo's usually is pretty solid. Uh, my second pick, I'm gonna go with a staple. It, it's something that's easy, and I, th- God. It's been a little while since I've been in the Nats game, so it's been to a Nats game, so you got to bear with me. But is CU Tater still there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take CU Tater because... Okay. Well, you have to pick a food there. You can't just pick the whole stand. I'm taking the whole... Right? No, 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 no. Yeah. You, you can pick the whole stand. That counts. Yeah, they All don't right. just have pupusas at the pupuseria, but you took... I just took the pupusas. I didn't take the whole pupuseria. <laughs> you, you said the pupuseria. I said pupusas. Yeah, but it's called like the pupuseria. So it's yeah, like a cita pupuseria. pupuseria. <laughs> you, you, you sound so white. Um, yeah, I'm I taking speak C- Spanish a little bit. Uh, I'm taking CU <laughs> Tater. The amount you get is awesome. It, it's loaded tots. Like it does. It's kind of explains itself. It, it's awesome and it's. It should still be at the front of the ballpark, right? As you come in the uh, center field gate. Yeah, it is. All right. Yeah, it's perfect. It's right there as you walk in the center field gate. It's easy. It's good. It, it's a staple. Yeah, you can't go wrong with the tots. And I think we've talked about this before, like maybe a year and a half ago. It was a long time ago. But when I always, I love the tots. And when I go, I always get a separate, you know, they give you that little tray thing with your tots in it. Mm-hmm. I always get them to give me my cheese in a separate one so that my tots stay crunchy and I can dip it in the, in the cheese. That's my move. Yep. Because I like them to stay it's crunchy. It's a power move if you're ordering out from anywhere. Yeah. So like, you know, your food stays crisp. And if you are if you have french fries, you know, you open up the container so they don't get soggy and stuff like that. These are power moves. Indeed, indeed. Okay. My next one is going to be Hope Dogs. 
the Bon Me dog is pretty spectacular. Wait, wait. is that is that how it's pronounced? Hot, like hot cuisine. I've always just said like hot. I thought it was just like a fancy hot. No, it's hot, hot like hot cuisine. Hot. It's it's French. Hot. Well, I've had it. It's delicious. So. Yeah, it's really really good. It is good. Okay, and I go again now, right? So my next one is Leilani's Shave Ice, which is my dessert go-to when I'm at the park. Lots of flavors. It's always great, especially when you're at a game and it's like a day game in July and it's just brutally hot. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I don't have a problem. We, we, I think we just talked about this last episode. We did, uh, yeah. briefly. When, when you have shaved ice, it, it's fine but it doesn't compare to some other dessert options that are usually at the same event or, in this case, ballpark. I, I, ice cream um, for me, like dairy in the middle of, like, a really hot day just doesn't do much for me. I want something more refreshing than some than something dairy. Yeah. All right. My next pick, I think it changed its name, but it should be the only place up there. It, 200 level, there's a barbecue place. Um, I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find it. I think it's like old, old hickory. Old hickory. Okay, old okay. hickory. Yeah, that's, that's a, all right. So that's it is section. No, that's three hundred. That's in section three hundred one. Three three hundred one or three hundred two. I thought it was two hundreds. No, there's there's two. There's one up in the three hundreds, and there's also one right by the Bud Light loft. No, oh, you, got no, it. It, it, that's exactly where it is. It's the Bud Light loft because that's yeah. that's where I go. Okay, all right. So we're on the same page. I didn't realize there's two two locations, but yeah, I've been to the three hundred one. Yeah, very very good. Uh, I mean, it, it's barbecue, it, but it's it doesn't lack in quality. It's super good, you know, satisfying. If you want something with a little bit more, you know, fulfilling or, you know, fills you up, I should say, uh, Old Hickory Barbecue is a great, great option. So that's a good pick. For my third pick, um, I'm going Chico, the spot that's in the right field plaza. Um, I've had it twice, and I got – they had Korean wings, and it was mm. so good. It was barbecue sauce with Korean fried wings, delicious. And they also had a bulgogi, hoagie. I had to say that slower because the ogies in there really throw me off each time mm-hmm. I say it. Um, fantastic. I'm a really big um, Korean fan food, Korean food fan, and tacos. So if you guys can't tell by all my picks, um, absolutely delicious. And my fourth pick, I'm I'm a little torn. I was. I've had like one of these restaurants outside of Nats Park before, but I haven't had it in Nats Park, so I'm not going with that. And I've just been thinking, trying to figure out what I want to do here. So I'm going frozen. I'm going Dolce Gelati. Um, that was on love, my list. Uh, they have a mint chocolate uh, gelato that's so good. And, you know, it gets really hot in Nats game. Sometimes you're just sweating everything off, and you need something frozen. And when I don't get my beloved soft serve ice cream i get gelato so that's my final pick is the gelato place yeah i'm same mindset here i wanted to go dessert for my last one shakes shake shack is still available but it seems way too basic to to pick for something like this Uh, i could always go my chocolate vanilla swirl soft serve but again i kind of want to go something you know a little bit different than than that this is still very basic, but it, it's good, and the the ones at NatSpark are very good. I'm just going to go Funnel Cakes. Oh, that was going to be one of my last two. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have one left because uh, yeah. there's only four rounds. Um, but, yeah, I'm going Funnel Cakes because I've gotten them a couple times, 
And they've always been really, really good where I'm like, damn, this is a good funnel cake. Why don't I get funnel cakes more often? And then I realized that I only eat like one third of the funnel cake. And that's why I don't get funnel cakes more often Mm -hmm. because it's just that good. But again, it's very good, very high quality and you can't go wrong. Can I tell you another power move for the funnel cakes is when they make them for you, since they make them right in front of you, tell them you only want about half. And when they do that, it stays way crispier because it doesn't get so thick in the middle. So you only get, you're only going to eat half of it anyway. Tell them I don't like it too crispy though. Oh, see, I really like the crispy bits. So I can't remember the last time I had a funnel cake. Oh, they're so good. I'm, I'm still upset they got rid of that donut stand. Oh my God. I I almost thought about putting that on here (laughs) as a legacy. Yeah. Those donuts they had for the all-star game. Oh. Yeah, they're really, why really, really in the good. world they took that out like you need four senator sausages but you can't have yeah. that one <laughs> you can have that one donut shop yeah, yeah. all right so my last one and i don't know if this you guys have to tell me if this is allowed or not is uh, a new one which i have not yet tried but i'm dying to try is fuku who is david chang's i don't know if you guys okay. ever watched Ugly I'm not Delicious. I'm no, sorry, hold I'm not. that's that's the one i've had not at nat's park yeah, that's see, why I I've, didn't do it. Yes. So damn good. It's so good. That's what I'm saying. I've had it. I just haven't had it at the park. Yeah. That's that's the only reason why I didn't right. go to them. It's because I haven't had that in that's park yet. That's right. Yeah. I thought you hadn't tried it at all. Oh no, no, no. So okay. he does like all a right. spicy crispy sandwich. It's like if you it, it's kind of like the Popeyes thing with the sauce on top to make it spicy, except so much better because David Chang is awesome and everything he makes is awesome. So he closed Momofuku in D.C., his restaurant there, but they're opening just this year, and I haven't had a chance to get there yet, but they're opening Fuku at Nats Park, and they're going to have those sandwiches. So that is my fourth one. Uh, since we're talking about food, I'm going to segue this into the fact that Chili's is, is launching something new. Even we haven't gotten firm confirmation on what it is yet. Something chickeny. It's something chickeny, and they alluded to crispy. But... Our good friends at Chili's are hooking us up on Monday, and Ryan and I are going to get on the ground floor and try it out. We might have to sign an NDA in, in order to do it, so I'm not sure if we're going to be able to report back, mm. but Ryan and I do get you know exclusive access to it. I'm so going to have to talk to Bill excited. about when he's out at the Winchester location next, because uh, <laughs> I'm going to need to get I'm in on pretty, some of that. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> Insider Chili's information. I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. So we will put together those lists and let everybody vote on them on Twitter. Who's got the best draft of and Nats if we, Park food? If we missed any, let me know because, again, it's been a long time since I've been to a Nats game at this point, and I don't even think all the food options are open right now. So I might have to switch up my usual suspects, my usual routine for food at Nats game. So I'm all open to uh, suggestions. Absolutely. I'm excited to try that sandwich there. I couldn't believe it when I read that they were opening a David Chang restaurant at the park. That is high on my list. Okay. We are going to move on now to Twitter questions. We have quite a few from you guys. We appreciate you taking the time to send these in. Let's start with B underscore Randon, who says, assuming Soto continues to get walked constantly, how does this affect his odds at winning potential MVP season? Kills it. That's the um, easy answer. <laughs> yeah, because you're not going to be producing runs. You're not going to be hitting home runs. You're not going to be having the clutch moments. Everything that makes up an MVP, um, his on-base percentage will be high. His war would probably be a little inflated because if you have a high on-base percentage, your war is usually going to be inflated with that also. But 
nothing else would be there. And that's the thing. And we're kind of seeing the downside for this because Trey Turner has two stolen bases in his last 15 games because they're trying to keep first base occupied for Soto. Literally, anytime it's not occupied, it's getting walked. So, yeah, um, if this pace keeps up, it's going to murder his, absolutely ruin his uh, MVP chances. Yeah, I mean, when you're Juan Soto and you have Juan Soto abilities, you're always going to be in the MVP uh, conversation. But if we're being real, and this isn't, you know, uh, a bit or whatever, Juan Soto is not the most... Nah, all right, let me rephrase. He hasn't been the best player in the Nats this season. So it's hard to garner MVP votes when Trey Turner's been the MVP. So unless Juan Soto does something insane the rest of the year, which is in the realm of possibility because, again, he is Juan Soto, Trey Turner deserves to be the team MVP and should be the Nats representative or at least primary representative in any MVP conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I was just going to say something to that effect is that Soto, you know, obviously there's the injury and, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, he hasn't really looked like Juan Soto. And part of that is having no protection in the lineup, but I don't think that's all of it. He's not having his best year. And uh, you know, even if you're Juan Soto, you can't not have your best year and expect to be in the MVP conversation. So I think if they had gone out and gotten that bat to hit behind him, he'd be seeing a lot more pitches and I think his numbers would look a lot better, but I still don't think he's looking like he looked last year mm-hmm. and he didn't have any protection last year either. Yep. So I don't, I don't think at this point, I mean, obviously it's still relatively early in the season, but he's not looking like an MVP candidate to me right now. No, he is not. All right. Next question is from at Shani the third who said, is it possible that no one in the NL East ever gets on a roll and top to bottom separated by a few games the entire season? Well, at at the pace we're at right now, yes. um, <laughs> the winner might not even get to 89 90. games. Um, but the only team, when you're looking at the vision, you're like, all right, the Mets are dead. Their entire team is hurt. No idea how they're still above 500. They're still in first place. <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The fact that they're over 500, congrats to their entire coaching staff. You guys deserve a raise for dealing with what you're dealing with up there. Um, that's not going to last. They're going to start falling apart more so than they already are. Phillies are a disaster. You're pretty close to be able to mark them out. The Marlins, they're the Marlins. The Braves are well positioned right now to take over the NL East. Um, outside of Ozuna, they're pretty healthy. They do have a little bit of an easier schedule coming up. They play the Mets this weekend. They're avoiding the Grom, and that's really all the Mets have right now. They have one guy in their lineup with OPS above 700. So I think one team is going to pull away but I don't think that team gets to 90 wins if that helps answer your question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is very realistic. Ryan kind of broke it down. Well, the, the Phillies really need their offense to step up. And right now, Real Muto and Harper on the IL, uh, the Mets have 17 guys on the IL and, like for the, for the Nats, most of the season we've said, okay, once we're healthy, once we're healthy, the Mets can't even say that right now because they have so many guys on the aisle. It's very unlikely that you're all going to be healthy at the same time again. So who knows what the rest of their season looks like? Um, the Marlins and Marlins, the Braves still have a very good lineup even without Marcelo Zuna. Their pitching needs to get figured out. You know, Enoa 
broke his hand punching a locker in you know the, the clubhouse. Soroka's dealing with more stuff. Charlie Morton hasn't looked great. So that's the some the the something that the Braves are going to need to sort out. But again, they've been battle tested at this point. They're we know what we get with the Braves, whereas someone like the Mets, like they can have good spurts and they can have very Mets-like spurts. But the Braves are battle-tested. They've shown that they are the team to rise to the top when the NLEs cannot figure its crap out like it, it is now. So I think it'd be sooner rather than later when we see the Braves kind of overtake first place and maybe not convincingly establish a lead, but at least establish a lead. Yeah, and we talked before the season started about our predictions for the division and the Mets and the Braves seem to be the uh, not just us, but you know, kind of around baseball, the the favorites for winning the division and if they didn't win the division getting a wild card spot. And I think to this point nothing has convinced me that that's different even though they're both really banged up right now. I do feel like when they get healthy, they're going to pull away from the rest of the field. And uh, I think it'll be a battle between the two of them. The Nats are largely healthy and can't get over 500 and can't beat bad teams like the Reds that have bad pitching. And, you you know, like last night where you couldn't even score more than one run, a solo shot in the ninth off of a bad, you know, bad pitching. So nothing the Nats have done to this point gives me any faith that they're going to be competitive in the division. And I think at some point the Nats and the, or the Mets and the Braves are going to, get healthy and and pull away. The fact that the Mets are where they are with the amount of injuries they have is damn impressive. And I hate the Mets, but you have to kind of tip your cap to that. But continuing to tread water in the position that they're in is more than I would have expected. I didn't realize the the Mets are, not that it's a huge surprise, but I didn't realize the Mets are third in the MLB in Team ERA. That's probably large in part why they're, still as successful as they are, mm-hmm. whereas the Nats are third in the MLB in batting average, and that just goes to show how overrated batting average is as a stat because the Nats' offense stinks. Yeah, I can't believe that number. Is that true? Third in MLB? Yeah, it's only 256 as a team, which isn't insanely high, but again, we are not anywhere close to the third-best offense in baseball, so batting no. average is not relevant in terms of offensive statistics. Almost as pointless as pitcher wins and losses. Agreed. Okay, this is my favorite of our questions tonight from Monty on the pod thrice, who said, if each host had their own podcast, what would it be about? Each host should answer for themselves and each other. (laughs) All right, I got you guys down. Amanda would do a podcast on realty, and it would be about, like, home buying and, like, tips and secrets realtors don't tell you. But she's one of those. <laughs> oh, I dig it. But she's one of those cool realtors who's going to let you know that. Like, the, 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 like the secrets from flight attendants. That would be Amanda's. And it would be, like, a house buying for dummies. Um, that would for sure be Amanda's. And Nick's would be on Marvel and movies. <laughs> I love it. Well, that, that was going to be my answer for myself. You have to answer for yourself, too, though, Ryan. Oh, oh mine? Um, I don't know, probably someone video games. So mine was absolutely going to be on Marvel's. I, you know, thought about starting up a movie podcast, but I, you know, just had too much going on anyways. But uh, Marvel movies is right up my alley. Uh, Amanda, I was just going to say something gardening related. Um, basically, if you pick something that no one would listen to, that's going to be what Amanda chooses to podcast. Wow. About. Wow, just um, choosing violence for no reason. 
Yeah, I'm cranky tonight. Uh, Ryan would do something about building a brand and, you know, it would actually be like pretty relevant to building a brand, but I don't know that anyone would listen, but Ryan would keep pumping out episodes with, you know, tips and tricks to, to build your own brand. And he would only exclusively re- refer to himself in the third person in the entire show. It'd be like, it'd be like in High Met Your Mother when Ted Mosby has his radio show. Right. I would like to point out, Ryan, that Nick said we both would do podcasts that no one would listen to. I just well, yeah, that's no, that's 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 just Nick's ego. I, I, I love him. I mean, it. no, no one would listen to mine either. I didn't say people would listen to mine. <laughs> I started up a Marvel group trap. There's four people in it. Like, come on. One of my one of my coworkers wants to do a podcast with me but he's really busy and I can't tell you what it is because it's actually a really good idea for a podcast. So I'm just waiting for a homie to start it so I could start promoting it here. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I, I can't imagine trying to find time for another podcast, but yeah, that seems crazy to me. So yeah, I was going to say if I did one, it probably would be gardening related ah. or potentially crochet related, which I also can talk about a lot. That's one thing I don't even bore you people with. I do love to crochet, so I have all manner of boring things I could do a podcast about. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you know what? You know what? Anyway, for Ryan, I was thinking he would do some sort of a podcast about, like, how to be a successful troll on Twitter. I thought about that, too. You guys think I'm so successful? (laughs) I'm a businessman. I think you troll quite successfully. (laughs) I was going to say something along the lines of cyberbullying and why it's not real. Cyberbullying is not real. Or why (laughs) cyberbullying is a good thing. Yeah, something along those lines. I I said that to one of our uh, therapists at work, and he was so upset I said that. And he was like, I need to, I like, I need to. And I was like, it's not real. Just close your computer and walk away. And he just took like the longest sigh. It was so funny because I won. That's one of the funniest tweets. It's like, how does someone get cyberbullied? Like literally just log off, go away. <laughs> right. Seriously. Like it's not like high school where you have to go back and see those people tomorrow. Right. You can just not watch. Yeah. Well, I think you could have his would be called like cyberbullying for dummies or something like that. Huh? I'm, that pro, I'm pro bullying. <laughs> yes, I know you always say that. Well, bullying works. Bullying works. <laughs> and for Nick, I guess I, I was thinking something like a Chargers podcast, since you always seem to have a lot to say on Twitter about the Chargers, and you don't really ever get a chance to talk about it here. I, I mean, I am a lifelong Chargers fan. <laughs> Definitely have many things to say. I, I see lots of Chargers talk. So, yep. Those are my answers. All right, that was a good one. Um, let's go on to the next one. Average Nats at Average Nats fans says, what the hell are we going to do with Carter Keyboom? Does he have any sort of trade value left? No. Are we just going to hope he turns into a decent platoon guy? So we talked about this with um, Matt. He said if the Nats are going to trade him, they're going to have to package him to another prospect, which means the Nats aren't going to trade Carter Keyboom. They're not going to take that much of an ego blow. We know how this team is. Um, so we're kind of just stuck with him and just praying that homie makes it through homie figures out how to hit. Um, he didn't get the LASIK surgery that Jameis Winston got. So I think he needs to go get surgery again to figure out how to be good. Cause I think he has a, Is sub- there a surgery for that. It just be like, Hey man, let me get what Jameis Winston got and they'll get him perfect. Cause I think he has a sub 600 OPS in AAA right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, man, one, what happened? The one home run he hit was a foot above the wall, and it was a line drive. Which, I mean, a home run is a home run, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't exactly convincing that he had turned a corner, which he very clearly has not. It it stinks. Like, it, it's tough seeing, um, you know, any prospect flame out, not be what they're hyped up to be, but this is quite the fall from uh, from Grace. I think I speak for all of us when I say I would much rather have Carter Keboom than Shane Bieber. I mean, I can't imagine why we would have wanted to trade him earlier when he had some value. He certainly has no value left at all. In fact, as you said, we would have to we would have to basically bribe someone to take him at this point, and I don't see that happening. So seeing that they left him in AAA and called up Luis Garcia is tells you everything you need to know about what the team thinks about Keboom right now. He's uh, I, I just can't understand it. Before, I know he hadn't had a lot of success at the major league level, but he was tearing up AAA, and now he can't even hit at the AAA level. So I don't know if there's an injury or, like, what happened? Did the guy just forget how to play baseball? I, I have no answers, but it sure is discouraging. Yeah, zero trade value. Yeah, negative trade value. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, next one is from at who's in the blood, who says, seems like the Nats are missing at least one proven bat in the lineup to get over the hump. Assuming Rizzo decides to buy, who is a realistic target and who should be on the trading block? So when the Nats buy, because we know that's how this team moves, especially with how the NLEs is right now, um, the popular answer is going to be Chris Bryant, but the Cubs are not going to be selling. They're playing rather well right now, and they're – not that far out so they're they're going to be buying um a call uh sorry a name to look at though is the other seager also known Corey's brother kyle seager um third baseman from seattle they already said he's not coming back they like got leaked that's not bringing back has pretty good pop and a pretty decent contract so i can really see the nats parting with some mid-level prospects adam play him at third and you could bat him fourth or fifth and it would be a pretty decent addition to this lineup yeah, that was going to be my answer. Uh, they've been linked to him before. It, it's always been more of a, a realistic option because I'm pretty sure his contract is expiring too. So it, it technically would be a rental, which I know the Nats aren't always keen on doing. We just talked about that with Matt as well. But it just it makes all the sense in the world when you have this many one-year deals and you're going to have to kind of figure some stuff out this upcoming off season anyways because again of the one-year deals and someone like max uh coming off the books and trying to decide what to do with him so it's a you know kind of a, a checkpoint in the road to, to figure out where where you go from here anyway so bringing someone in like kyle seager doesn't really drastically change your long-term plans um obviously someone like chris bryant would be awesome but the, the further we get into the season, the less likely it feels like he's going to be traded. I'm sure there's a dark horse content or a candidate out there, but it's like you, you kind of want to find these teams that are out of contention that maybe sell and have uh, pros or uh, not prospects players that they could sell. But it's like the, the Nats are that team. If we're right, exactly. Real. I was just about to say that, like, the Nats are the team that people, people should be are looking, looking at, at the to Nats. say, yeah, who are they going to People are looking at the Nats saying, oh, if we can pick up a Shorebird, if we can pick up a Jan Gomes, a Josh Harrison, a Brad Hand, like, they're, they're trying to poach the Nats. The, and so I don't know what kind of 
market the the Nats are going to have if they choose to buy. Because again, they don't you know have many other teams to choose from as far as teams that will be selling, and they don't have prospects to trade. Yeah, I, there's still a, you know good amount of time before the trade deadline comes around. So obviously we'll know more about where the Nats are. But I really feel like if they're still in this middling you know, barely below 500 or barely above and think they can still make a run. They'll, they'll buy like they always do, but they really ought to not be buying this year. I, I can't see them winning the division. I can't see them getting a wild card. There's absolutely no reason not to, to, to waste another year when you could potentially try to restock your farm a little bit in a year that's not your year. This, this team's not winning anything this year, so... Well, you heard, even... it, heard it here first. Amanda says that the season is over. She's, not that it's over, she's, she's but they're done not done chaining the Nats. <laughs> That's not she what I said. said. The Nats season is done. They're not done. They're still. I think they can probably be a middling team, but they're one of those. This is going to be another one of those tests where can they accept that they're not going to win it all and go ahead and try to do, if not a rebuild, at least a reboot or retool I mean, or whatever we're calling it. Failed that shoot, they've they're... never won that test before, so. Right. If they're doing that, trade Max, they would get a haul for that man. Yep. Yeah, I don't know about that. That one's hard for me because I really think they're going to keep Max and re-sign him. Yeah, that you can yeah, re-sign be a mistake. Him. You can re-sign him even after you trade him. Yeah, maybe if he would do it. But I don't know. I guess it depends. If you traded it, him somewhere where he might be able to go win another World Series, he might be. But <laughs> really if, you, if you're back. that bad of a team, he might not resign here anyways. Like, let's be real. But I just feel like the only thing they have going for them right now is the pitching. And you know, if if you, I feel like if you sell off, if you trade Max, you're giving up on next year too because you don't have anybody to take his place and provide the kind of pitching that he provides. Again, you can resign him. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay. Uh, last one is again from at B Randon who says, what would a potential trade for someone like Cedric Mullins look like? I was thinking maybe for Robles. I don't know. Crazy idea, but I just see so much potential with him in the lineup in front of Trey. So trading for Cedric Mullins would not cost Juan Soto. Um, I'm sorry, Victor Robles. He's having it would not cost Juan Soto. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) He's no like Cedric Mullins is having a very underrated year. Mm-hmm. He plays for the Orioles, so no one really cares. But he has a two WAR. Um, he's hitting 300. OPS is a little above 840. He's got six home runs, 14 RBIs. He's having a very good year. So center fielder too, 35 exactly, which is something his team would need. Adding someone like him, he kind of fits in with the mold of what the rest of this lineup is. Not a lot of the power contact guy. His on base is 370, which is pretty I'll take good. It. Um, he is in a hitter-friendly park, but he's a sneaky guy. A lot of people aren't going to talk about him. He wouldn't cost someone of Victor Robles' caliber. Maybe this is a guy who it's Carter Keboom and another prospect they're packaged for would be middle prospects of the way. You can get like four prospects who aren't good and trades for him. So it wouldn't be a trade that I am against. Um, he's a very solid player. It's just Peter Angelos is never trading with nationals in the history of the world. So Yeah, there's that. And it also just depresses the hell out of me to think of what we would be trading Carter Keeboom for at this point. Yeah. Like, when you what you could have gotten for Carter Keeboom and what you if you trade him now, what you would get is just depressing. Yeah. The one thing with Cedric Mullinso is that the sample size of, you know, games you choose to look at, meaning 
solid games uh, with good production. It's very small. It's basically just this year. Uh, last year wasn't terrible. He hit 271, 315, 407 for 723 OPS. So not terrible, but not what he is this year. So uh, that might actually help your case because you're not paying for an established player. You could probably just get him for two mid-level pitching prospects. I don't even know if you would need to trade Carter Keebum. They can have Carter Keebum, but I, I think you could probably get him for next to nothing. So I, th- that's definitely a name to watch, and it could fit. I don't know that the the Orioles work out a trade with the Nats, like Amanda just said, but it would fit the mold of someone the Nats would acquire at the deadline for sure. Indeed. All right. Well, I think that's all we got tonight. You guys have anything else? I did have something, but oh, you did it! Look, you didn't say no, and then say you had something. I forgot what I was going to say, though. Oh damn! That that we'll keep trying. (laughs) We'll keep trying. All right. Well, thank you to all of you listening. We appreciate you guys um, hanging with us each and every episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, check us out at tw- on Twitter at the main show account at Half Street High Heat and at the website at halfstreethighheat.com. And we will talk to you again soon. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.